Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Okay, today we welcome Penny Taylor to the show. Our guest, she has a master's in educational psychology, a unique perspective on life. Penny thinks cave dwellers were smart and that we could learn a lot from how they lived. For the past three and a half years, she's been studying the latest theories in evolutionary psychology. No longer believes the time our ancestors spent living in caves should be considered underdeveloped or savage. In her spare time, she's been picking the brains of Evo Psych's most respected researchers and coming up with a theory of human behavior that includes every person on the earth. Wow. That's because her ideas are based on our human similarities, our biology, instead of our cultural differences. She wants you to come to the understanding that our emotions, as confusing as they seem sometimes, are here to help us, not hinder us. Welcome to TNT, Penny. How are you? I am great. How are you guys? Super excited and really intrigued by this topic. Uh, I can't wait to hear about it. Um, it's something that in, uh, interests me, but it's maybe not something that I know a whole lot about. So um, ticks all the boxes for me. So I'm feeling savage for this topic. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Savage isn't always bad. <laughs> no, it isn't. Okay, so maybe just give us an idea of how you came to evolution psychology and you know why, how it's impacted you and become your passion. Okay, to start, I first heard of evolutionary psychology when I was getting my bachelor's, and that was about 30 years ago. It was like a really new science, and there weren't a whole lot of books about it. And I did get a bachelor's in psychology, but not specifically evolutionary psychology, mostly because you couldn't really earn a degree and it was too new. Then about three years ago, I had an experience um, where I became basically obsessed with a TV show and it was really outside my normal personality. And I was like, what is happening to me? Like I became very interested in a couple actors that were on the show and I'm like, I'm not 13, what is my problem? Like, I can't get enough of these guys. My kids were getting older and I was getting some free time and we also got a puppy and I was kind of stuck at home and I was watching this show and I found myself searching online for anything I could find on these, the show and these actors. And I was like, this is weird. Like normally I'm very realistic and reality based. And so I uh, delved into what could possibly be happening to me and kind of rediscovered evolutionary psychology as an explanation for my obsession kind of I love that you were use the word obsession because part of our kickoff is passion and or obsession in a really good way because oftentimes it will lead us down this exploratory journey that really is a necessary place for us to go personally so what did you find when you dug in uh, when I, uh, sorry. Oh, what was the TV, TV show? show? I need to know that. 
What's the TV show? Oh gosh. Okay. So sometimes <laughs> I'm reluctant to say. Okay. I'll say it. It's a sci-fi show. It's called Supernatural and it recently ended its 15 year run. Okay. So back to our question. Oh. When you navigated the rabbit hole, what did you find? Well, I found that part of what I was looking for was a smaller world to function in. And that world happened to be a fandom. So it was something about the show and it was something about the actors, but ultimately why I stayed was because I see fandoms and other groups of people that are smaller than the larger world as something that's very comforting to us. And I think that it boils down to us having this kind of need for a smaller world that comes from when we were living in small groups of people, like around a hundred people. And so would that be classified as like a primal urge? I think so, mm. but it's not, it's not a conscious. Mm -hmm. I guess urge is a good word for it, but once you're aware of it, I think it's somewhat controllable. It's not like fight or flight where you can't control fighting or flighting. That's just happens automatically. But if you know that you have this need for a smaller world, I don't think it's something you can't help yourself from doing. Right. When, I, when I became aware that it was fandom that I was meeting, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I could set it aside if I needed to and reconnect to my general world. And then, you know, I could control it easier. And I think that emotions in general if you look at them as ways of connecting to all the things that are happening, it's sometimes easier to not shut them off, but be like, huh, okay, that's what I needed. This is what I did. Was it appropriate? And then you can own up to the things that you maybe didn't do purposefully. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just for our listeners' sake and for mine, can you clarify what the evolutionary psychology as opposed to psychology are? I think an easy way to say it is there are ways that we process the world that we're not aware of. And that's because they're so old that we don't think about it. We just do it like fighting or flighting or uh, having a need for community or they're called instinct blindness and that we all have instinct blindness and very few people are aware that they have these things that they automatically do. I think modern people, they're kind of arrogant. Um, we, we have all these, you know, choices as far as emotion and we're, we, we're the top of the food chain and we're so awesome and we are, we're unique. But I don't know that we're all that different from other species. I'm starting to see a lot of similarities in human reactions with animal reactions. And it's not like to whitewash everything and make everything the same it's the tricks that we use and have developed based on the way we evolved are different than the ways other animals have evolved and they are unique and emotions are a really big jump as far as evolutionary tools that humans have as opposed to other living things man that was heavy <laughs> <laughs> It's also, I think that like we're tiptoeing ourselves into discovering what 
your theory of human behavior is and the impact of that on every person on the earth because in this description of the similarities in our biology rather than the differences that we see in our culture is all of these things are quite visible but I think if you're talking about like instinct blindness and arrogance certainly a very good blinding tool to be able to see what we're actually doing I'm interested in discovering what your theory is and how all of those pieces really play together. Can I talk about the evolution of emotions? Of course. To me, that seems like the most relatable way to talk about it. It's basically what we did as tree dwellers, Mm -hmm. what we did as cave dwellers, and what we do as house dwellers. And those are all very broad generalizations. (laughs) I don't think everyone lives in a house. And we weren't always in caves when we were in, when we were cave dwellers. It's just a way to categorize the epoch or the time in history. If we want to start with tree dwellers, there was a time that there were a bunch of hominids. And they were basically not false starts, but they were groups of human-like creatures. And most of them lived in Africa. And at different times, they start uh, leaving the trees. But while we were in the trees, we didn't have a broad range of emotions. It didn't take a lot of effort to say, that's my piece of fruit. There wasn't a broad range of emotions. There's anger, there's fear. There, I mean, it's just a few things that we needed to communicate with each other in order to like get the food we needed while we were in the trees. And then when we ventured out and started uh, living in slightly larger groups, we went from like troops of 40 to 50 to around 100 because we needed that many people to acquire food while we were cave dwellers. There needed to be people hunting, they needed to be people gathering. And when we started doing more complicated things together, we started developing more nuanced facial expressions. Mm -hmm. And part of that was due to the fact that we lost our hair so gross. Um, when we were in the trees, we weren't running around. So we had, we were all hairy and stuff. And then when we started running after our food and having to travel and follow herds and follow seasons, we started losing our hair because we had to be able to cool off. So we went from hairy to sweaty. But when we lost our hair, we lost a lot of ability to communicate with each other non-verbally. Like when you're hairy and someone sm- walks over and smells you, they know if you've been running recently, if you've had sex recently, they know all the things they need to know by smelling you. And there's one researcher I really like, she studies skin and she describes it perfectly. She said, the load of the communication moved to the face. So when we had hair, the communication was on our bodies and we didn't have to talk to each other. And then when we became cave dwellers, we lost our hair, we lost our smell. We had to communicate some some other way and that became emotional expression. So now you have many more um, apprehensive, you have concern, you have joy, you have group-based emotions. And you had to express those more minutely because you, did, you lost your ability to learn through smell. 
and then we add deodorant and then we add perfume and then we add all of these other layers that mask our natural smell. Yeah. One of the things my husband says to me when I come in from a run, we're just going to continue the gross theme, theme here. Is he's like, you smell like cold sweat. It's one of my favorite smells. And I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Lucky as well. I wonder, I wonder where you've evolved from. I'm, I'm guessing we're moving on to like the house. When we get into the house, how does our number of troops what came to mind too was Dunbar's number. And so yes. we started like in the tree, we're at 40 in the cave, we're about a hundred in the house. Where are we now? What's our, what's our troop like? Yeah. So it's interesting. The troop is now very small. A lot of people live with just their nuclear family. And I can't help but wonder if that's why so many of us are so anxious especially now with the pandemic, we're like trapped in our houses with just a few people. And at some level, I'm wondering like, where's my backup? Where's my tribe? But it's not conscious. It's just a thing that I think about. And that's, that's the numbers issue. Like there are a few things going on. If you're moving from tree dweller to cave dweller to house dweller, there's the numbers issue. And then there's the communication issue. And there's the verbal issue. What's interesting when we move from cave dwellers to house dwellers is that there were very special people when we lived as cave dwellers and they were called storytellers. Part of their job was to coordinate everyone. You know, the hunters would go out, they would be gone for a day or two, they would come back and, you know, Schlag had died. How did Schlag die? How did you find this animal and bring it back or, you know, and everyone needed to know what everyone else was doing. Like coordination when you're a tree dweller is easy. Like there's 40, you can probably all with an eye shot, you're all moving together, not a lot of need for checking in with each other. And then we move to the caves and we're kind of running out away from the campsite and then we're running back. And then it's like, well, what happened? And how else are you gonna find out what happened unless you can tell? So I think these storytellers, you know, with, the, with visual aids on a cave wall of like, how many bison were there? Let me draw them. And then they eventually got to the point where they were labeling things. And then people got to know this is a rock, this is a berry, you know, like, and then they get, everyone gets coordinated. So that kind of ties back into my fascination with the show because this was a story. This was a microcosm. This was, there were storytellers and I'm, I never had been so fascinated with a story or storytellers before. And I kind of rationalized away my behavior by <laughs> leaning on to the ideas of evolutionary psychology. And instead of minimizing what I learned about myself, it blew up in my head. This isn't just me. This is everyone. Okay, so I'm interested in that. That we've talked about the evolutionary psychology. Let's talk about your personal evolution from the you know from the start of watching this show to learning about these things, and then in the last three years or so since the show's demise. Sorry for that. And then rest in peace. But um, what has your path been since you uncovered this kind of evolutionary psychology? What does it teach you? What what is it you do with this kind of knowledge? How do you share it? What's next for this kind of 
your personal evolution. We kind of went from smell to expression, sight, to basic verbal communication, and then I guess written communication, and then obviously all other technology. Does the evolutionary psychology project into the future or is it only looking back? I think it projects into the future in terms of our growing need for efficiency. Mm-hmm. As we learned language, and as we got better at communicating, we got more successful. So if you have 100 people that can communicate with each other verbally or even in writing, and you meet another group of people and you start communicating with those people, if you can come up with a, an even way of communicating, and you could with expressions, like this is like pre-culture. Like this is why I like the cave dweller stuff because you could, let's say you're a Neanderthal and you come upon a, an almost homo sapien and you, you both have facial gestures. You can communicate with each other. You're not limited to the style of speech. So there, there was this time that we could come upon another group that was a little bit off. We weren't real sure about it, but there was the possibility of communicating, right? As we um, get into culture, we got so successful that we started populating in places and learning to farm so we didn't have to move anymore. And that was handy. We could just stay in one place. But then as the group stayed in one place, they got their own languages and their own way of writing. And then when we came upon each other, like colonialization, um, it was harder because we were dependent on this efficient way of communicating. And efficiency really is a strong thread when you look at it from tree dweller to cave dweller to house dweller. Efficiency becomes more and more important. And it's almost like we're addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And predictability too is something that we needed desperately when we were in cave dwelling times. And it's something that we still need, but we don't know we need it. We feel we need it. That's for sure. I mean, 2020 is a great example of I don't know what's around the corner. And so the heightened levels of anxiety and stress, really with the unpredictability of a pandemic, which no one has experienced in this particular lifetime before. Totally. I'm going to pick up on the thread of the boom in our intellect. So the boom in our knowledge acquisition from multiple layers and generations back. It's been so important for us to acquire knowledge. And so we spend a lot of time and energy in doing that. We can see that right from when we come out of the womb and our whole life is there's lots of value placed around this intellectual capacity. And if I think back just in my life of how much handwriting I did in in part of an expression of communication, writing notes, having a pen pal, all of these things, how many hours spent on the phone talking to friends and so much verbal communication, which is a highly intellectual process. But in the last, I don't know, couple decades, maybe not even that long decade, the use of emojis, which are pictures to express a whole bunch of stuff And so I'm wondering, I would love your thoughts around the rise and also EQ, the rise of emotional quotient, emotional intelligence being so important to our abilities as human beings. Now we see the rise in the use of emojis. We we see these kinds of things happening. I'm, I'm just interested in your thoughts as to, is this one of those predictions of how we move to the future? And 
and how we're communicating and what we're focusing on and the importance of our emotional intelligence and all of that. Yes. I think most people's EQ is fairly low because they, I don't think they place the importance that we should in emotions. But as far as emojis go, I think they're replacing what we did as cave dwellers, but in an efficient way. I'm going to express two or three different emotions. Bang, bang, bang. It's done. Mm -hmm. And I barely spent any emotional energy on that at all. I picked three emojis. I didn't even have to make them on my face. I'm (laughs) the most freaking efficient thing on the planet. I'm awesome. Helping or hindering. So do you think that's helping or hindering our abilities as humans? I think it's taking us away from where we came from. And since I have a soft spot for cave dwellers, I'm going to say, are we going to get to the point where we are spending less energy on visually and physically communicating with each other? I don't think that's so great. I don't want to become a computer. I, I, I'm special because I'm a person. After I realized that I wasn't in total control of the choices I was making around this show and around these actors and started noticing it in other parts of my life. Like as a fan, I was making choices that weren't that different in the way I choose leaders. So voting behavior, not that different from fan behavior, let's say, and not sports fan behavior. I think that's different and not that different from consumer behavior either. We are being influenced by advertisers who are very aware of the powers of evolutionary psychology. And when I listen to recent commercials, I'm like, holy crap, they are tapped in. They are dialed in. They are playing us like fiddles. Mm -hmm. It's important that we become more aware of our habits and our emotions so we can make conscious choices instead of being basically manipulated totally um i think it's first of all i love that you talked about emojis because i'm feeling like you know those cave paintings i live in in europe so i've been to france i've been to those caves and seen those paintings in lascaux caves and quite amazing Uh, (laughs) yeah they are just like emojis aren't they like the what picture sells a thousand words and that sort of thing but when you were talking there about the advertising, I think the question I was leading to was like, what is it about now that dissatisfies you and caused you to look back and become more attached or maybe romanticized is not the right word because that, but I, you know what I mean? Like you, no, that's you fair. It's love fair. For, the love for this, yeah. the, the cave dwelling life, the, simpl- the simplicity of it. I don't know, maybe I'm put words in your mouth. What is it about oh. that you were dissatisfied with now that, made you attracted to them. (laughs) Yes, um, it is simpler. And I think culture just creates a bit of noise. It was like a layer of stuff that we're suddenly interested in because we think it has to do with our survival, but it really doesn't. Like we don't need much more than we needed when we were living in small small groups of a hundred people. Like you need water and food possibly shelter, not always, and you need each other. And that's, that's really all you need. And if you can kind of dismantle modern life using fewer cues, I think you get a more accurate 
description of what's really happening when you start worrying about what, what someone's wearing or what color their skin is or what town they're from or what car they're driving. It's like, blah, blah, blah. this is just noise in my head now. It's distracting. Yeah, I get that. So before we started recording, you mentioned that there was someone who has been on this journey with you, or maybe you found her along the way. I'm not sure when the actual revelation came. Uh, we're talking about Claire. I'm wondering if you could share a bit about this before we just throw it on our guests at the end there. That, oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming. <laughs> could yeah. you introduce Claire or you know, some, something okay. like that? <laughs> when I started thinking about the application that evolutionary psychology could afford just anyone, other people, I started thinking of a way to introduce it to other people. A fun way, I thought, would be to kind of name and identify the part of me that is really ancient, the basic part of me and the part of me that processes the world like a cave dweller. Because I think we all have this quiet part of us that process the, processes the world like a cave dweller. But then if we need like adrenaline, boom, that part of us is like front and center and you can't ignore me. So I named that part of me Cave Girl Claire. And I started writing about things in life from her perspective. And I had a blog and she's not only a cave dweller, but I, I felt a strong connection as part of a fandom that I was acting kind of like a cave girl. I became obsessed with two leaders. These actors to me embodied perfect leadership. Yes, there were characters on a show, but they also happened to be like a cave dweller leader. They weren't bossy. They weren't, I'm better than you are. They were down to earth. And they keep, kept each other in check as far as ego goes. And it was unique to have me be interested in actors because, you know, on the surface, they're just, they're just actors. Like they're not no different than me, but these specific actors, I was like, hold on a second, there is something about these people that brought out my inner cave dweller. And my, my inner cave dweller took over essentially and was like, you need to follow these people. These people are rad. So two questions. Since that time, since that sort of discovery of, oh, these characteristics, this kind of draw, that's an important element. Since that discovery, has it now been easier for you to see that in other people? Totally. Excellent. And, and I felt like I wanted to share it and I didn't know how because it sounds a little insane. And I was like, well, let's just make a story about it. Like here's Kate Pearl Claire. She's going to do this. She's going to do that. And so with every blog post, I have now 29 blog posts and then a, like a mile long reference list of the actual theories and things that support my ideas. So second part to that question, when you had first started describing how you came into this space, you described, I noticed these behaviors of like obsession and, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I was like researching everything or so I noticed the behavior and then I paused and I went, what's going on? And I came back in and was like, why am I feeling this particular way? And then you explored some knowledge once you sort of got yourself centered. Right. In the writing that you do from the Cave Girl Claire perspective now, and in the things that you have learned, I'm wondering if you can offer to our audience maybe one pro as to why connecting with your emotions, connecting with that simplicity of the cave dweller is beneficial and also mm -hmm. perhaps one con. Okay, totally. 
I feel like doing the con first. When I uh, was first deep in the rabbit hole, as far as getting to know about the show and the actors, I was disconnecting from real life. And it felt good. It was a little microcosm and it was on TV and I could turn it on anytime. And I started watching 12 years in to the 15 year life of the show. So, hi, I'm on YouTube. Next, 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 <laughs> next 12 years, okay, of show, plus convention videos, plus gag reel. I mean, I had an unusual amount of content that I had access to, immediate access to. Mm -hmm. So this was the downer of learning about my cave girl is that it was, that felt good, let's do that again. Mm -hmm. the, the pain versus pleasure. That's the pleasure, 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 pleasure. As an actual cave dweller, you didn't have unlimited resources. Mm -hmm. You had a cutoff. And, it, and so we didn't really ever learn how to cut ourselves off. Because if you accept that most of our psychologies formed during the cave dweller time, you didn't have a plethora of anything. You got what you got and you moved on and that was it. But when my cave dweller was like more, 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 that wasn't great for me as a individual person, a mom, a wife, I'm supposed to be running a household, right? When our outdated way of doing things gets put in a modern era, that's one example of why it's not so great sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was the con. Do you want to talk about the con more? I was going to say, it could also be a great description as to why people get stuck in that cycle is because that ancient part of themselves does not know how to turn it off. And right. yep, yeah, we see nope. that over and over and over again. Emotional thing. Yeah, intellectually, we know it. Exactly. Okay, take us through the pro. Okay, so the pro. First, I have to say that the thing that got me out of the deep, dark discovery hole was an actual physiological emergency. We had a fire in our community and we had to flee our home. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have internet for like four or five days. And that kind of broke the um, trance. I don't know what it is. Like I couldn't watch it. And I was like, okay, I feel better. Like you're talking about being centered, but it took an almost tragedy to like shake me loose. Once I did that, I was like, other people need to know about this. And that's another way I think paying attention to your cave dweller is a good thing because ultimately I think we're all concerned for each other. And if we can get past our differences, those circles can be bigger. If we can get past our in-group, out-group, Ultimately, I think we all do want to do right by each other mm -hmm. if we can just kind of broaden our uh, in-groups a little bit. Yeah, if we can get back to that kind of ancient wisdom, indigenous cultures, there's a huge influence on me, um, this idea of reciprocity and um, sustainability and the kind of the new constructs of that foster the separateness and the isolation and the ego-driven individuality compared to our interconnectedness and our interdependency on each other. And we kind of strive so hard to establish ourselves as an individual that we 
negate and, and neglect all the positive things that actually you know that we're stronger together you know that's a well-known hashtag or whatever so thank you for that i'm conscious that we're running out of time here and for this week fans we're doing a double episode of the rapid fire q a is that right yeah we're gonna do it can we do... try claire i'm worried about doing both i think it'll take too long yeah <laughs> let's do claire and so before we do those questions how can people access your blog I've moved my blog onto a website called cavedwellerclub.com. Cool. And it has um, other podcast interviews I've done. It has a couple articles that were published on Psychology Today. It has my blog. It has a place to ask Cave Girl Claire questions. And then I have a FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. There are questions people have asked me, and I've put my answers up so you can kind of get an idea of if you ask Cave Girl Curl a question, what kind of answer you might get. Oh, amazing. So we'll make sure that all of that information is in our show notes so people can just go click and get right there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. it, it's, it took three years, well, it took about two years to write the blog and then about a year to get the website up to where I think I want to share it. So <laughs> come visit cavedwellerclub.com. Yes, okay. <laughs> Rapid fire Q&A, Cave Girl Claire, welcome to the yeah. show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Question number one. Okay. Which emotion catches you off guard most often? I only oscillate between trust and fear. So maybe joy. <laughs> and what do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? I don't. <laughs> I'm happy. It's really, really awesome. <laughs> Question three. What's next in your personal evolution? <laughs> oh my. I have a long way to go. Communicating better with my tribe. Number four. When your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you quote unquote, say to them. <laughs> I let them have their meltdown <laughs> because it wouldn't be of much benefit if we were both melting down. <laughs> this is incredible. And last question, <laughs> last question, Claire. In this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? Another meal. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Penny. What an interesting conversation. What, I am I'm personally very excited to go and check out your website some more and dive into your blogs. Like a storytelling for me as well is one of the most fascinating things and hearing it through this kind of a voice. I'm super pumped to read it. So thank you so much for bringing all of your intrigue and passion to TNT today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited about talking and I can't believe that it's the hour's over. <laughs> yeah. Very fast when you're having fun. Yeah, I just want to echo what Teresa said. So interesting, so so different, so so much fun. And also, you know, we talked about your blog and your storytelling, all that kind of thing. It just made me think, God, I wanna I wanna read some books, some some actual stories about Cave Girl Claire. Is that something in the possible future we could look forward to, maybe? 
I want to clarify that my Penny is my pen name because I, I got all my blog copyrighted under my pen name. So if you see Penny one place and Annette the other place. Same person. And my legal name, Penny is my pen name. And I had thought about maybe someday putting it together in a handbook. Oh, fun. But that's like super down the line. Like I'm kind of enjoying what's happening now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Stay present. Sorry. Thank you so much. Lots of fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com. <laughs>